Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. Today, I am so delighted to have Cynthia Zinti on with me. How are you, Cynthia? I'm great, Leslie. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Let me tell you a bit about Cynthia. She's the founder of Integrated Selling, focused on helping industry experts and entrepreneurs scale their impact and revenue working with corporate clients. Cynthia is an award-winning sales strategist and trainer whose love for selling started with her first cold call at the age of 13. Since then, she's worked for companies such as Coca-Cola, Cisco Systems, and Remax with a focus in technology since 2004. She has dedicated her career to helping professionals leverage the power of selling to drive revenue and increase their impact. What's unique about her is her passion for incorporating diversity and inclusion through the entire process and training, making selling enjoyable and profitable. She has personally sold over $1 billion in cumulative revenue and has trained and coached hundreds of salespeople and teams and reps. So how did you get started at 13 to be doing this amazing work that you're doing today? Share with us. Well, first of all, thank you. That's quite the intro. I started cold calling at 13. Basically, it was a bunch of us after school needing some extra money. It's like, hey, these people are looking for someone to do some, at the time it was called phone soliciting, making calls for a carpet cleaning company. And that was my first experience in sales was making cold calls. And since then, it's just been something that I have always loved and enjoyed. And I think because my first, within my first day, the first half hour, the, one of the reactions I got was really understanding that what I was doing had a way to help people. I was so fortunate on my sixth cold call to connect with an elderly woman who had just lost her husband hmm. and was overwhelmed in the process of trying to sell her house and getting her house ready to sell. So she's like, you know what? Your call actually really helped me. This is something I hadn't thought about. And it clicked in that moment. It's like, this is actually a really great way that we can help people. And so since then, I've just been enamored with it and have tried all different types, whether it is business to consumer or personal sales, direct sales, but really my home is in enterprise sales. Wow. You had a really great early lesson. I mean, I think I know people who've been selling for like 20 years who still don't realize <laughs> the impact of what they're doing is actually impacting human beings. So. From yeah. that lady, the first one who was like, wow, you helped me change my perspective. What lessons from that cold call, from that experience you had as a 13-year-old do you still use in business today? It's been the foundation of everything that I do. It's the ability that I get to help somebody and that you never know what's going to be on the other end or how you can make a difference in someone's life. And while it may sound altruistic, that's really what it comes down to is that selling is really helping people realize a different future, a different way of being, whether it's lessening pain or moving towards a goal. Mm. Uh, and that's honestly just my guiding principle and how I've been able to keep doing it for so long. So how do you teach that? How do you teach a person that selling is to really help move somebody along a path? And it's not about them. It's not about a product or a service that they're selling. Well, it's interesting because I'm actually doing a talk on this actually really soon. And it's really about the focus on value and moving away from the personal attachment, mm. right? It's transforming that mindset to be more of a sales resilience. And how do we move it into transformation rather than making about something that's about me? Mm. Yeah, I think that that really sums it up. 
because it has to do with some, it's that shift in perspective from what's in this to me to how can this help somebody? And one of my mentors, when I was working at Coca-Cola, he said it, I think, or something he shared with me is, is something that's always been in the back of my mind is that if we do the best we can today, then tomorrow will take care of itself. And so transitioning that into sales is if we help someone as much as we can today, we will be rewarded tomorrow. It will show up in our pipeline. It will show up in our revenue eventually. One of the the things that I have often told salespeople is exactly what you're saying. It's not about you. It's about helping your prospect, your customer to move along their path. And mm-hmm. so that really requires you to step outside of yourself. And that is the hard part that I find that they have, right? How do I step outside of myself and empathize with somebody that I have never lived that life? I've never had that actual problem myself. So how do you get salespeople, business owners, entrepreneurs to really step outside of themselves and into their customer's world? Yeah, that's a really big part of it. And you know what? That's really what it is, because that's what helps us show up consistently when we're doing that. Um, So detaching from the process, I think, really does take... uh, a shift. It's a shift of thinking. Uh, detaching is moving from what can I do to working collaboratively with somebody to build strategy. So it really is, I think, being able to just be willing to change and do something differently and not taking it personally, understanding that what you're getting is feedback on the process, not feedback on you, who you are as a person. Mm, so right. detaching yourself pretty much like emotionally from the sale, right? Because we're humans and it's like, ah, <laughs> uh, but it's about me. And I love a thing. I have these Westling wisdoms and I'm like, it's not about you. Nobody cares about you. Like that is the thing. I'm like, nobody cares about you. People care about themselves, their goals, the things that they need to accomplish. And so I think that that is a very big mind shift. And once you get to that place of removing like your personal, like, if I make this sale, I'm going to make this much money. If I do this, this is going to happen. Like your outcomes, removing that and stepping into what's important for your client, your customer. I think that's that big shift that we need in our sales environment. I agree. And honestly, I think being able to step into understanding personalization versus it being personal. So Mm -hmm. personalizing the experience for the customer and being able to empathize and be with them in the process, but not in the process, right? It's always having that little bit of level because that really reinforces the professionalism as well and how we can personalize the experience and make it about them. Mm, That's good. So where did 13-year-old Cynthia go? What was her next job, her next step into sales? So it was a little bit more customer service and that was working in restaurants and which is what I did when I was going through college and university, finishing high school, which is great because I think the service industry is a phenomenal foundation for anybody in sales. I think just in general, right? To have empathy for people. But I worked so in pubs and restaurants and things like that, which is really good because it is about sales and it is about delivering on time and, and hearing and really listening, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm really good at parties because I can walk through a party with a tray full of beer. But anyway. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, and then from there, I worked in, I do have to say that I tried a six month period in accounting and it was almost the death of me because I'm like, I cannot do this. So my apologies to anybody in accounting, but it just wasn't for me. <laughs> um, from there, I went to 
I think it was when I first started working. Well, there's always been some sales along the way, but then I went into real estate and got my real estate license and started doing that. Okay. Um, which I really, really enjoyed. But to be honest, I was very young and there was a lot of imposter syndrome that came up when I was trying to, you know, sell half at the time, half million dollar homes or million dollar homes. You know, there was a lot of, like I say, disbelief, imposter syndrome that came up from there to Coca-Cola to a few other companies along the way. Honestly, I think I've done pretty much everything that could be done. I've done print sales. I've done chemical sales. You name it. I've done it. You've done it. So let's uh, drill down on imposter syndrome. It's not something that people talk about or they kind of dance around it. So how do you define imposter syndrome? I think for me, imposter syndrome really means that you're doubting your ability to get an outcome. Mm. That You know, you're, you're in disbelief and not really owning your experience and your knowledge. For some mm. reason, there's something in there that's saying that's preventing you from really being able to take responsibility for it. And can I share something that came up in a conversation today? And I think this is part of the reason is when we hear a lot of feedback or when we get a lot of feedback and people telling us we've done a good job, that type of thing, it's very general. And we tend to think of our accomplishments very general as well. Yeah. And so I think it doesn't really stick and really resonate. But the more we get specific, like, okay, I closed this contract with so-and-so, which was worth X amount of dollars, and these people were involved, and this is what the outcome was, this is what it meant to them. I think the more specific we can get, the more it actually changes how we think about our abilities. Mm. But I really do think it comes from just our inability to really take ownership and be willing to acknowledge what we have accomplished. Yeah, you know, that's really important. And I think that some of these lessons actually come from childhood. So, you know, I do a lot of mindset work and thinking about looking back to go forward. And so I actually recorded a video recently and I was like, as a little girl, I was always told I was smart. I was always told I was beautiful. So those are two things that no one can ever tell me that I'm not. Can't tell me I'm not smart. Can't tell me I'm not beautiful. But my parents really never said I loved you that much. So that's an important thing that I need to hear these days from my friends, from my kids, from everyone, because I didn't hear a lot growing up. So it's Mm. really those things that you may not have heard as much that makes you doubt yourself in an area. And so if we think about how does that resonate to what I'm doing today, how does that resonate to how I show up? It's sometimes we have to pour that into ourselves, right? Sometimes we have to say, especially as business owners, if you're a sales leader, you may not have somebody saying, you did a really good job in that one-on-one. You did a really good job in that LinkedIn post. And as leaders, that's what we have to give to our people. We have to make sure that we're giving them those words of affirmation. And it's the small things. It's not just, you did really good on the sale. It's, you did a really good job on that proposal. It looks great. I don't even have to touch it, right? Like giving those small moments of affirmation and gratitude throughout the sales process. Well, first of all, I love that you heard that growing up, but I wish that you had heard I love you more. So yeah, yeah, but that's just it. I mean, I have so many things. Mine was the flip side of that. I did hear you're really, really smart. Um, you're really unique in how you think, but you're not going to fit in because of how you think. Mm-hmm. People are not going to get you. Right. So it was kind of this weird, okay, they think I'm smart, but then I'm not really going to fit in. Anyhow, I think we all have these stories or these things that we've heard, right? A lot of the work I do right now is, and because I work in two things in parallel, like I help people with the, with the skills training, but I also do a lot of work in parallel on the mindset and 
everything that goes to support the individual going through sales. Lately, a lot of that work has been around emotional regulation Mm -hmm. so that you can show up consistently. And what that really looks like is being able to identify those stories that we hear and make space for them. Be grateful, like, yeah, okay, in the past, like, this is what I was missing or this is what I heard. And to your point, how do I bring this in for myself now or for the people that I'm supporting? And that's really important. A lot of, there's so much training, leadership training, sales training, it's so tactical. It's so skills-based. And I'm like, I can teach you how to cold call. I can teach you how to do this discovery call. But if you still don't think you're good enough, it's never going to go anywhere, right? And so (laughs) it's like, we have to break that stigma and we have to help people understand that talking about their mental health at work in business is okay. It's okay to say, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with this. It's okay, right? We create those safe spaces as leaders, as people to make sure that people can open up and really be themselves. That's really important. And I love that you talk about it as much as you do, because we're bombarded with so many messages about you can do this. You can do this in five days. You can have 10 customers in this days and you can do this and do this and do this. And it's not reality, right? That's not helpful for anybody. It does really play into our mental health. And so being able to have conversations in safe spaces, like you're saying, especially leadership creating those where someone can come forward and say, you know what, I feel like I should be able to do this, but I'm not able to do this. Is there something wrong with me? You know, just to have those conversations where they can be honest with themselves and you can actually support them. That is so incredible. And I love that you do that. Yeah. And you know, and a lot of times it's people, leaders, they want to do it, but they don't have the tools. They don't know how. And there's this company that I'm working with and one of the the frontline managers literally just left, didn't give any note, just left, right? And so that person's manager was struggling with it. I said, so this is what you're going to do. You're going to call a team meeting and on this team meeting, let everybody air out their dirty laundry, like whatever's on their mind, have them move one step forward. And then I want each person to share a moment of gratitude, something they are grateful for somebody else on the team. And she's just looking at me like, what? And she was like, nobody's going to say anything. I said, you have to open it up and be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. You have to say, so as you guys are thinking about the things you want to share, I'm going to share a moment about me or something with, that I'm struggling with about this sudden departure. And she looked at me like, what? And I'm like, you have to share it. It doesn't have to be all warm, fuzzy, but people need to see you tap into that human side as a leader, mm-hmm. right? If they don't see that, then they feel like it's not safe for them to do it. And then you just operate like a robot and then people leave, people leave managers. They don't leave companies. And so as a manager, if you don't really show up and be the kind of leader people want to follow and stay, then you're always going to have turnover. You're always going to be right there hovering at that number that you're trying to get because people are just checking a box. They're just doing what they have to do and keep on moving. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? It's phenomenal advice because that's what is going to encourage people to open up and feel like they can take that loss and make it into such a different type of experience that they don't have to feel that way. Because think about how that's impacting their performance as well, to have their leader just disappear. That happened to me. The company I work for right now, because I have my consulting business and I have my corporate position, the CEO left a note on a boardroom table on a Sunday. We came in Monday and the CEO was gone. Like it was... Whoa! I started, we were 40 people when that, it was like 
I don't know, within three months later, there was like six of us standing. It was like, what do we do now? Yeah. Wow. yeah, that was, that was quite a shock. So anyhow, it worked out good because we created something so different and, you know, safe that people didn't feel they needed to do that. So tell us about, because that is a, a huge shock. I talked to a CEO, she had a smaller company, probably around 15 or so employees and they had a huge transition and within 30 days, eight people left, like half the company left. Right. And it was a shock to their system. So tell me what are some of the things that you guys did going from 40 to six and now back in growth mode? The big thing was we decided we wanted to look different. We wanted to get away from having so much separation and departments within that were blocking the customer experience. So what we do is we do embedded technology. So everything that goes like inside of black boxes, all the computer systems that go into black boxes. And before everything was silos, engineering had a say, and then, you know, operations had a say, and which they all do, but they were all blocks to the customer process, right? Mm-hmm. We would start with the salesperson, end up with the, the sales engineer, and then we'd back to the salesperson and then off to operations and ear engineering. And it was just this massive, confusing, complex process for the customers. Mm-hmm. So we just decided everything was going to be transparent and really working as a team to make it smooth, to reduce timelines, to reduce, you know, anything that was a barrier to having a project moving forward. That was the main thing we did. And that was the thing that really customers, it, it increased the retention and the volume that we were doing with them as well. Wow. So you guys essentially became, in my mind, like customer centric and customer obsessed. It's like, what is best for the customer? It doesn't matter how we like to work internally. It's about what does the customer want? How are they going to get all this information? Like being so focused on the customer, it sounds like that's really what turned the company around. Yeah. And you know what, when you're dealing with the big defense contractors, like a Northrop Grumman or General Dynamics, you know, when they're calling in and there's somebody out in the field and they need an answer, they don't need to be put on hold or submit a support ticket they need somebody right now. So we actually reduced all that and gave them direct access to all the engineering team and all the tech support they needed. It worked for us because we were still able to track it, but they didn't need to go through a complex process to get there. So it's understanding what's necessary for your customer, depending on what their situation is or their environment. And they can't get that level of service with anybody else in the market. So... And so as you're saying that, the thing that pops into my brain, is like making your internal processes align with what your customers need, not what makes life easy for you or what you like or what, right? It's like, this is what our customers need. And I I get it. When I was selling capital equipment, if something, if there's a line down in the plant and they are depending on your instrument to help them and like every hour down, every minute down, they're losing millions of dollars. It's like, I don't want to be passed around. I need somebody that I can pick up the phone and say, help me now. Yeah. So understanding that, and you're right, it makes you have these raving fan customers that they're like, I don't care how much more it costs. I'm paying. I get what I pay for. I pay a premium to have access. And that's the big thing is that it doesn't become about price anymore. It takes you out of that conversation completely, which is phenomenal for your sales teams is that they're not competing on price anymore. So, you know, interesting thing when I, before all that happened, we were coming in margins were, you know, maybe 20, 30%. And then all of a sudden when people 
I won't disclose what our margins are, but it is all of a sudden you're looking at margins that are, you know, double that. And so really, what is the trade-off? Mm. Yeah, you have to answer the engineering calls, but what does it do for, you know, your cash flow at the other end? Yes. And this is a message for every single entrepreneur out there. <laughs> you need to do more business with the right people. Literally, when I started taking that view, I have less customers that pay me more. Because I don't, I, I'm like, I'm sorry, this is not, you're not a good fit for us. I tell people no now because I know the type of customers that work best for me. And if I enjoy working with them, yes, I'm making higher profitability, but I enjoy it. And as an entrepreneur, you should enjoy the work you do. It should not be like, I tell people, if I want frustration, I'll go work for somebody. I'm not being frustrated to work for myself, right? And so even on the flip side of how you apply that as an entrepreneur, it's really important. You know what? It's the joy quota. It's like, okay, I'm showing up today because, you know, I've got these customers that I love working with and they're willing to work with me. And it's an experience. We can, I use this word collaborate a lot, but we can create something and it's not transactional. Mm -hmm. Transactional race to the bottom, right? We're just going to be competing on price and knowing that it makes all the difference. So you can make selections like you're talking about in the customers that you work with. But it does require some work on the, this is another message for the entrepreneurs, especially if you're just starting out, is doing the work, having those customer interviews and making sure you really understand what it is you're solving for. Because mm. you got to speak specifically to people about what you're solving for so that it's, you're not tire kicking and you're not spending your time disqualifying. You're working with the people that there's already alignment. Yeah. Like really understanding understanding who you serve and how you serve them, right? Like not saying, I sell software to anyone who has a problem with payroll. What? What does that even mean? <laughs> like, and a lot of times you get on calls with people and they're like, what? And even salespeople within large organizations, they don't have a clearly defined, this is how we serve people. And it's because the company doesn't have that infrastructure. You know what I mean? And so getting down to the smallest addressable market, being the big fish in the teeny tiny pond, is really what helps you move the needle when you're working, whether you're in a company or you're working for yourself. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to tap on the diversity, equity, and inclusion portion of what you do. How does that show up in your life, whether in your consulting or in your corporate career? Um, it shows up everywhere. Um, <laughs> I think you already know that I have a son who's developmentally delayed. And so that has really changed my perspective on seeing how he navigates the, the, the world and how people see him in the world. But also, you know, having this extensive career in sales, I have been in so many rooms that have been so uncomfortable because it's not been a safe space for me, whether it's I've been dismissed or over-talked or there's been sexual innuendos and things like that. So really what I do is I try to make sure that the language is not, it's not bypassing, it's not dismissive, it's not um, repressing anybody's thoughts or feelings, that it is a, a culture where we can have transparent conversations physically, mentally, emotionally. So it's understanding also, you know, being in leadership, it's understanding that people cannot always show up hundred mm. percent. Right. And it's also calling people out a lot, yeah. <laughs> not in a bad way, but have you considered looking at this a little bit differently to make it more accessible and more inclusive to people? Yeah. 
Right. And you know, the thing that we don't often talk about in this um, diversity, equity, and inclusion conversation is people, I like to say, who learn differently because I have a dyslexic son. And so uh, that is very inherently in my heart and mind. Mm-hmm. And so even when I'm working with an organization, it's like I tell them, I'm like, you're going to hear me. You have written words. You're going to have exercise. You're going to do it with your hands because everyone learns differently. And Absolutely. how about you be patient with your colleague? who looks a little bit like they're lost and explain it to them a little differently if I don't say it the right way. Or if I'm saying the same thing over and over and you're like, what is she doing? I'm trying to make sure I have agreement on everybody's face. And so within organizations, I think that we have to be keenly aware that people learn differently, people respond differently, and they don't always want to self-identify and say that it's hard for me to read this passage. It's hard for me to have the fast cognitive processing that you need me to have. And so it's our job within organizations to be very empathetic towards how people learn, work, move, and do everything. Oh, absolutely. And we can start that process by just asking for comprehension. Yeah. Um, I've been very fortunate in the last few years. When I started doing online training, uh, one of my first clients and someone I learned from is an adult learning specialist. She actually has a doctorate in adult learning. Right. So I worked with her because I said, you know, if I'm going to be doing this, I want to make sure how I'm communicating information is resonating with people. How do I structure it in a way to do that? So it's been an amazing collaboration over the years, back and forth, her learning sales, me learning about adult learning, right, for comprehension and just how information is presented. I think there's so much opportunity for people to really connect on that in a way that can foster growth within a company Hmm. because the the impact of someone feeling seen and heard Mm. is monumental yeah like just talk about it we don't need to put people on performance on pips on their performance plans we need to make sure that they're actually heard and understood Mm -hmm. and understand what their barriers are to performance not just how to go out there and blatantly think we know how to correct it And when leaders say, oh, yeah, this person is underperforming, blah, 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 blah. And that's what it sounds like. I ask them one simple question and I say, have you given them 100% of what they need to get to where you want them to be? And 100% of the time, people say no. And I'm like, okay, this is on you, not on them, because you haven't shown up as a good manager. You haven't been a good leader. You haven't done what you needed to do. So let's stop blaming people and let's start taking some ownership of our part of the process. And so when you switch that conversation and you say, leader, this is what you should do. Leader, let's do this. And literally this quick change that you get and that employee that you were ready to get rid of, they're like, you hear me, you see me. Now I don't feel like I'm just showing up and doing a job. I feel like you actually care about me as a human. Yeah. And we give them some autonomy to navigate their own life and their ability to perform. I think our job as leaders, and this is what I help people with as well, is that help people become Mm self-directed. Give them the tools. You know, when you're saying, do you know 100% of what these people need? Or are you giving them 100%? Do you even know what it is that they need? Most of the time they don't because they're projecting their own shortcomings. Sorry if I'm sounding judgmental here but you're projecting what you think they need rather than actually taking the time to understand. Ask, right? Listen to understand, not to respond. You know, just like we do in sales, (laughs) like you listen (laughs) to the customer to understand, not to respond. It's the same thing you should be doing with your team. 
And yeah. I often had to tell leaders, I'm like, you know, the way that you sold, the reason why you were a top performer. Now, how about we do that with your team? Like, how about you stop just breathing down their neck and how about you listen to them, repeat back what you hear them saying, like give them an opportunity to respond because at the end of the day, your team are your customers. Like that is who you are focused on developing because through them, you lead through impact and influence. And through them, that is how you're going to achieve your goals. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It reminds me of the, I want to say Six Sigma, but it wasn't, but total quality management that was introduced in the nineties. It's like, you got to make sure that the person, whoever you hand something off to has everything they need to do the next step without having to come back to you. Right. And it's just like, ah, such a good concept. Um, You know, and it's a difference between, and this is a question that, you know, I like to have people ask their teens is, do you feel like I understood what you were saying? Mm, That's good. So even taking it one step further is like, you know, do you feel understood? Do you feel I understood what you were saying? Mm, You feel I, again, that ownership piece is I do you feel like I understood? Not did you understand me? Do you feel like I understood? And using those I statements in leadership, using those I statements just as a person within an organization, it personalizes it and you take ownership of it. And when you take ownership of it, people feel like you are a person who I can stand behind, stand with, stand next to, because you're saying, yeah, I made a mistake here, or I think we should do this. Not you, not we, not they, I. I, yeah, it's so powerful and it's so easy. But I think what the big challenge is, is that people feel like it's a reflection of who they are as a leader when really that is the strength of a leader is being able to take ownership for it and saying, it's okay not to be perfect. Nobody said we needed to be perfect, but I do need to take ownership of it because that's what leadership is. And then how do I move forward with it? What do I do about this now? Yeah. So I am curious, you've had a very uh, dynamic career. (laughs) Who is the person in your life that you would say has made the biggest impact on the way that you show up today? Well, it changes all the time, but the way I show up consistently probably has more to do with Maybe I can talk about the guiding principles I that the ones that resonate with me the most the most. And it goes back also to some time ago and it was a book written by Miguel Rodriguez and it was the four agreements. So this goes back a long time ago, but one of the four agreements is be impeccable with your word. And that has shaped everything that I do. So if it's my commitment to other people, my commitment to myself, whether it's, you know, no matter what I've said or done or promised. I do that. If I've given my word, that's all that it is, right? Like there's no negotiating about any of that. In sales, one of my biggest influences is Anthony Inarino. He's someone I've followed for a very long time because I like that he integrates a lot of the personal part of sales, but then has also more recently talked about how do we approach this from a thought leadership position rather Mm -hmm. than just, you know, a commodity. I've got X features on my widget. And then, you know, as far as growth as a human being, I have a lot of different influences. I've studied lots of different religions. I became a yoga teacher because I wanted to learn more about all of that. So it hasn't really been so much one because I've been through so many different stages of my life. Hmm. It changes as I change. And I think that that's great. And that's a, a good 
um, note for the audience that throughout your life, as life changes, you know, maybe you're a single young person, then you get married, then you have kids, then you are retired, like life changes and the people who influence you, the experiences that you have throughout your life will change. And so that's awesome. I love that the dynamic nature of who you are <laughs> and who has helped you form who you've become. Yeah, it definitely does change. You're right. It is an important thing to make space for that. That also the conversation I was having this morning, um, the young lady I was talking to is she was saying she felt like she's in a gap because she had one narrative, but she's not onto a new narrative yet. And I'm like, but actually there is no gap. You're just creating You're re you know, you're transitioning. There is no from here to there. There's only change. Mm, right. I love it. So, like go with the pressure and just allow it to evolve. I love it. I love it. I love it. Man, this has been an amazing conversation, Cynthia. And I know we go on and on and on for hours and hours and days because we speak the same language. Um, what is the one best way for people to get in contact with you if they want to chat with you more? Probably through LinkedIn. Um, I do have my website, which is integratedselling.com, but LinkedIn is where I'm most active. Okay. And uh, yeah, I spend a lot of time, as you know, on there. And that's where I love to help people. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Cynthia. For Thanks your... for having me. Yes, I appreciate any time people share their time, their talent, and their expertise with me and the audience. I've learned so much from you today. So thank you again for sharing your time with us today. Thank you for having me. And that was another episode of the Transform Sales Podcast. Remember, in all that you do, transform your sales. Until next time.